0: Sarah Benincasa, who is most recently the author of Agora Fabulous. Sarah, you are looking mighty fabulous. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you. I'm doing well. I mean, I got out of bed and out of my house. You got out of bed? I'm very excited. How did you
0: get out of bed?
1: Magically. I, I
0: mean, I think I got out of bed this morning. but I'm not, I mean, I obviously, I met you here. Yes. But I obviously don't know how I do it sometimes.
1: I Well, you know what? I was, I was awo- awoken by a fire alarm going off in my building, which, as it turned out, was not... Um, was just a test, but it was very exciting, yeah. and it motivated me to get up because, uh, like like most people who deal with depression and anxiety and and certainly agoraphobia, yeah, um, you know, getting out of bed is sometimes a challenge. Getting out of the house is a challenge. Yeah, but in this case, I was so rudely awakened that it just, it, you know, it was great actually, and I I got to work on time. It was amazing. So,
0: so you need a contextual noise now yes. these days in order to get out of bed. I need I mean, how to How difficult yell is it me. now for you? Just out of curiosity. In
1: It depends. You know, I think most of the time it's all right. Um, A lot of times I wake up and my first thought is, oh, no. Oh, no. I I don't think you have to be
0: agoraphobic to have that thought. That's
1: true. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I think that's more a function of probably an existential crisis or... It's the default setting
0: for 21st century American life.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. but I think generally it's a lot better these days, you know, I, I feel more motivated, especially with the book coming out, you know, I, I've found that it helps me to keep extremely busy, like to overstuff my schedule, because that, that is a great, very strong motivating factor, the fear of disappointing someone.
0: Yeah. Um, overstuff um, your schedule? Like, mm-hmm. how overstuff would you say? I mean, down to every oh, hour, gosh.
1: book? Not every hour, but I, I do, I... Two hour I, blocks? Yeah, you know, I do a lot of writing. I do, um... I write for vice.com and for newnownext.com, which is Logo TV's gay site. And um, I write for exojane.com, and I write for a, a startup called bookish.com, a publishing yes. startup. And um, and then I make videos, and I travel, and I talk to colleges, and I do comedy. And so I really take on too much on purpose because it keeps the brain demons away.
0: Oh, yes. The brain demons, I mean, you allude to the voice saying, you know, uh, I want to die yeah. many times in the book. When was the last time you heard that voice?
1: Well, you know, in the it's interesting because in the book, I chose to personify the these urges that I was having um, because it really was like having, it wasn't like having a voice outside my head who I, um, you know, it wasn't like having a schizophrenic break where I was experiencing auditory hallucinations, but it was like uh, that when you listen to yourself and you think I need to listen to my inner voice what is my gut telling me to do um, but your gut is all screwed up because all the signals are messed up because your brain is crazy um, so it was more like that it was more like okay I, I just I want to die yeah definitely want to die um, it wasn't that long ago it was really like four or five months ago it was when I was finishing the final edits on the book and I was in a relationship that yeah. um, that ended be in a sense because the guy moved like a, a couple continents away It's like a
0: recurring experience in your life based on yes. of the book.
1: so it um, <laughs> it just was very it was that you know like I said I think I need a lot of activity to distract me from yeah. my the demon voices or my inner sort of my inner struggles and um So that relationship was certainly a distraction, and the book was certainly a distraction. And with both of those things coming to an end in one sense, I didn't have these distractions, so I had to face what was actually going on, and I didn't really like that, so hence that. So I actually, my my editor um, at William Morrow was really great and very empathetic, and so I went home for a couple months to Jersey to just kind of get better and get my shit together. And my... um, my boss at Bookish was great, too, and let me work from remotely, so. Yeah. So that's the benefit of being a freelance writer. You generally aren't making enough money, but you can do it from anywhere.
0: And it's good when you have situations like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, these migratory impulses of yours, I'm really curious. I mean, you were saying, I learned before we talked, that you had made yet another move. Mm-hmm. And this is very much a picaresque tale it takes us to Boston. Yes. It takes us to Asheville. It's like Maul yes, Flanders. Yes, I know, exactly. Which I think is a picaresque,
1: yes, right? Yes, I think, yeah, yes. Right? I,
0: I, yeah. I, I think Thackeray or something along so. those lines was an in, yeah. impulse. But anyway, I worked But I'm curious, I mean, do you have difficulties often staying in one spot? Do you feel the impulse to flee sometimes yes. as part of the... I have.
1: I have... Trouble with commitment on many levels. Yeah. Commitment to uh, sometimes to a person, commitment yeah. to a place of residence, commitment to a career. Um, I'm I,
0: surprised I got you to commit to this interview. Yes,
1: I did. <laughs> I did. Very exciting. Yeah. I decided to marry this interview. Although it was
0: last minute, so yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it worked. Yeah. A lot of
1: times the last minute stuff works best yeah. for me. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. So get, short-term get,
0: commitment, okay. Long-term commitment, yeah.
1: I get surprised into committing. I have to be very surprised, surprised into it. <laughs> be and,
0: shocked and galvanized. Oh, Yeah,
1: I'm really shocked To wake up, oh, I've
0: been married to this guy for three years
1: Surprise! (laughs) Oh, wait, I have a kid? Oh, okay (laughs) I have been surprised by my commitment to New York City Because I've moved around quite a bit within New York City But I've been here for six years And that, or six and a half years And that to me is shocking Like that I've spent that much time in one place And so of course I'm itching now And thinking about moving to Los Angeles Or or Asheville again or somewhere Um, But that's, I don't know what that is I, I have a. Sort of restless nature, I guess. Is
0: this why you have applied to jobs out of state over the years or oh, yes. looked at, at, oh, well, hey, if the vocation takes me here, I can blame the job exactly. as opposed to like my own decision? <laughs>
1: yeah, so that I can keep moving and yeah. just keep, uh, you know, kind of like a shark that, that never stops moving. I don't know if that's a myth or, or true, but yeah, I, 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 I say? Or just a thing, yeah. I just, I find, a, I find it necessary to just keep moving, always keep busy, always keep busy. And, and the upside of that is that I've gotten to have a lot of adventures and do fun things and meet a lot of cool people. And the downside is that eventually something does happen where you have to stop. And for me, when I've gone through a really deep-seated depression in my life, which has happened about three or four times, um, that has been just a screeching halt and has made me kind of ref- reflect on who I am and what I'm doing.
0: I was going to ask you about. Uh, I had one question just dissolved as, as they sometimes okay. do, but I but I wanted to ask you. I mean, you know, here you are. You're a comedian, mm-hmm. a freelance writer. These are occupations that depend very much sometimes, especially with comedians, on approval. Yes. And uh, and I'm wondering how you deal with this because. If you have all sorts of you know, inner demons say, committing you to self-loathing, so to speak, at least temporarily, yeah. short-term mm-hmm. commitments, and, and you can't get a laugh from an audience or you can't get a gig, I mean, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, do you it's, have a good support base? Or? I have
1: a really good support system in the yes. form of a of a pathologically approving family and supportive people. Pathologically, they're really disturbingly. <laughs> They've never supportive. said a bad word about you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, and sometimes they should have. There have been times really? when they should have been more critical, but just sort of very, very loving, very supportive. Um, so, so there's that, and then I also have some great friends. But yeah, I, I, think it's, um, I think we all come to, those of us who are comedians often come to comedy for reasons that are not entirely healthy. And sometimes it is out of uh, a twisted desire to be held up for ridicule. Um, sometimes it is out of a desperate need for love and affection, that's me. And other times it's for the high, of performing and for me it's not I don't think I'm chasing that high I think it's more about affirmation which is you know kind of ridiculous because you cannot it's it's a losing battle because no one is going to be liked all the time. No one yeah. is going to be approved of all the time. So it's... Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the most psychologically healthy choice for a career, but it is the choice that I have made <laughs> at this point. And, and writing, I think, is so similar. Comedians, and ri- comedians are writers. We yeah. just tend to do our writing in notepads and then perform very short-form sure. stories on stage.
0: Yes. Uh, my query that had... Dissipated, and the ruminative mist has come back. Oh, and it was about this notion of adventures taking you away from home. I mean, you clearly have had adventures inside an apartment and oh, so yes. forth. So oh. I, I, I'm wondering uh, why you feel that the adventurous spirit is not necessarily there within a urban domicile.
1: You know, I think that. It's a, well it's a little boring when you're just adventuring with your television set and your books and your comfort objects I love I love I love the song I am a rock because I you know I have my books and my poetry to protect me I'm shielded in my armor yeah. um, and he refers to the room as a womb and that really is how it feels so I can go adventuring in my mind when I'm in my apartment yeah. but especially because I've had times in my life when I was afraid to leave. I, um, I find that I, I need to make myself leave. It's a, this impulse. I uh, perhaps that's part of my wandering nature. Um, it, if I can wander, and not be afraid, it proves to me that I'm not a slave to my particular form of madness.
0: Yeah, you still, you still feel then very much enslaved by it. I mean, it seems that you've had some success. That sure, you have definitely. managed to at least emerge unfettered to the microphones right here. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I, um, I don't feel enslaved by it, but it's there. It's kind of like um, the way that people who are in recovery talk about their addictions, that it's something that they manage, but it's not something that is cured. That's how I feel about mental illness for me, because if I don't take good care of myself by sl- doing basic things like sleeping enough and eating properly and making myself leave the house and acting you know against acting against type so acting ag- against what my instincts are sometimes um it can come back so it's or it's like i need to constantly you know it's like clean, keeping your house clean so that mold doesn't grow in the corners because it will do that if you don't keep it clean that's that's sort of another metaphor i guess that works
0: yeah, sure there's one issue i mean the notion of freakishness i was hoping to unpack with you i mean mm. at the beginning of your book you reference the automobile automobile accidents of Lee Redmond. Yes. Redmond, of course, known as the person who had grown the longest fingernails. She gets into this accident and they're ripped from the ends of her fingers. You identify using this example two types of freaks. Those who are innately freakish yes. and those who cultivate a freakishness and you put yourself very squarely in the first category. Um, I'm wondering, are you resentful in any way towards those like Redmond who cultivate freakishness like this? I mean, isn't The freakish attention that they seek, perhaps you might call that freakish? I mean, what of this notion of being drawn to being a freak and being a freak?
1: I think I'm jealous of people who choose freakishness because it speaks to a courage that I wish that I had. and. One might also say that they're dealing, grappling with, un, you know, diagnosed or not, their own mental illness. But for sure. me, you know, seeing somebody who gets tattoos all over his face, I'm like, oh, wow, man, that's pretty cool. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that, but it's pretty <laughs> cool that you're that tough, that you would put yourself on display in that way. I mean, I suppose in a sense I've, I've maybe crossed over a bit into that realm by doing a live show about yeah. it, by writing the book about it. But that, to me, is more... Um, celebrating and dealing with a freakishness that was already there that was inherent in my character um, rather than seeking it out like you know having a million different piercings in my face or, or whatever so I, I guess I have a kind of envy of people who are willing to do that um, I, don't, I don't I don't know if any is the right word I don't want to emulate it but I envy their chutzpah I think I envy their their guts
0: you don't think there's something wrong with someone? Or I'm not wrong. Oh, no, th- I'm sure there's yeah. something very wrong. I mean, but... but <laughs> I mean, something freakish th- about someone who just decides to go that direction? Oh, I mean you Sometimes have to be nuts. mania and obsession causes one to do very strange things. Absolutely. Yeah. But,
1: but if, I, if I ignore that reality, that there's probably something very wrong with these people, um, and instead buy their story, which is that they, this is just something they decided to do then I feel envy. Like, wow, you chose to be a weirdo? That's yeah. so neat. Like, well, wow, that must be neat. But
0: I mean, I, what is weird? I mean, like, I can call myself weird. I walked the Great Saunter last year, and I plan to do it again this year. What is the Great Saunter? You walk you? the perimeter of Manhattan. It's 32 miles. Oh, and wow. it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. But there are people who I've explained this to, and they look at me as if I'm a complete freak. But they just have not engaged in the act of long-distance walking. And for me, it's very calm. You pick up all sorts of snatches of conversation. Uh, it keeps me healthy because I detest gyms. And, and I would rather... I need to, get, obviously, metabolism being what it is, you have to get some kind of exercise. And it's, it just takes me away from the home. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 great on so many different levels, but but the fact of the matter is, is that I'm obsessive enough to walk 8, 12, 14 miles sometimes, or in this case, 32. Wow. And you might say that perhaps I'm cultivating freakishness this way, but on the other hand, I don't view it as free- freakish. Well, it's and I don't healthy. think the people who tattoo their faces or grow their nails long, maybe they don't view it as freakish. I don't think they do. You I know? think
1: they... I think they want to be different and their different becomes their normal and they take pleasure in being viewed as the other, but they don't think of themselves as the other. Um, There's a kind of delight, I think, in that conflict between their internal view or their self-view of being normal and their realization that the outside world is always going to see them as abnormal, they, they take delight in that for some reason.
0: So your uh, concern then is, is a deliberate attempt on their part to seek an outsider status, as opposed, I mean, but maybe that's who they are. Maybe well, I that's think that's.
1: I, I'm not. Con- I, I just sort of. I envy it. You know. Yeah. I think it's it's cool. Like it's to have that much. It seems like there must be a certain amount of confidence. I'm someone who seeks approval so much. Yeah. yeah. And someone, these people are almost seeking disapproval. It's
0: so it's the confidence meter that we're talking Woo-hoo! about. That's the thing that you're. Yeah, you're I think in it's really.
1: About. I think that's cool. I, I envy that confidence.
0: Oh, so, so you're still. You don't. You strike me as, as especially confident to sit here and talk about these problems and write about these problems and talk about them further in annotations to your book, to your stage show and so forth. I mean, you don't think you don't you have this confidence?
1: You know, I, I suppose I do. Um... I just think its they've got a certain zazz and flair to it, like yeah. there's something to, to, rather than just to communicate, to actually paint it or encode it on your body or pierce it or something. its I just think it's kind of neat. And I also enjoy, I mean, I enjoy the movie Freaks, of course, a classic, a cinema classic, which is not about people who chose their freakishness, it's about people who had it visited upon them. and. Um, I've I've just been always been fascinated by that, by the kind of poetry and the sadness of of freak shows and carnival sideshows and things, and the kind of weird families that crop up, and I don't know, I'm interested in that. Circus people weird me out. But yeah, yeah, that'll be the next book will just be me hanging out with circus people for a year and then writing about it.
0: Well, I I wanted to also talk about the close alignment between being an educator, as you have been, Mm -hmm. and being a comedian, and I want to do this by pointing to the fact that you refer to Sicily as the Alabama of Italy. Mm-hmm. Now, the geographical part of the had some issues with this because Alabama is largely landlocked mm-hmm. and Sicily is an island. Right. So, how do you account for this? I mean, you do cite numerous historical examples, but does this fit in with the American problem concerning geography?
1: Uh, well, no, I think it it is emotionally, it is socially it has a place in Italian society, not unlike our Alabama or Mississippi, as in it's a hee-haw, hick, backwards place where people have guns and are stupid. That's the stereotype anyway. Yeah. But that it has some real natural beauty and has some real wonderful rural aspects. That's what I meant by that. It um, It is the kind of place like, you know, no. Generally speaking, if someone is like, I'm from Alabama, no one's like, ooh, that's so impressive. People are like, really? What's that like? At least in New York City. And so, well, not me.
0: <laughs> I, I'm interested. In, if someone's from Alabama, I want to actually defeat the stereotype.
1: Well, that's because you're a good person. Oh. But most you're of us are evil. You're not a good person? Evil. No, Most I'm New Yorkers great, are a, scum. Most New Yorkers are scum Yeah, scumbass, now we're doing
0: it the other way, the stereotype.
1: Sure. But I think that there is a... Um, there is absolutely a... Uh, a stereotype of prejudice against people who come from certain deep south states and sicily is literally the deep south i mean it's it's uh, you know right off the coast of the north coast of africa um but it is also at least as far as europe is going it's 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 pretty deep south but it's also um culturally like our deep south i think and there's a, a derision that people exhibit when looking down on it. And I think that's, that's also true in the United States. I mean, my you know my grandmother's husband, my grandfather left her for a Sicilian woman and that was this huge shame that she had been left for a Sicilian. She was Italian, Southern Italian, not, not she wasn't Roman or something, but um, like, you know, unwashed Southern Italian, crushing grapes with their feet type of people. But it was still like, oh, here from, you're from Alabama? That's really bad. It's like I'm from New Jersey. People in New Jersey make fun of people from Alabama or Mississippi or, or, or whatever. You know, it's, it's somebody it has to find somebody to look down on.
0: Yeah. So you're sufficiently other, it seems, being in New Jersey?
1: Ah, uh, the dirty Jerz. Yes, I think I am. Yeah. Absolutely. I love Jersey, though. It's great. I might move back there one day. Yeah. Possibly.
0: Well, going back to your family life, you do point out in one point of the book that hey, this is the kitchen where I actually punched my my father. I
1: tried. You, yes. Really you, tried. you point that this
0: is a, a great Irish tradition, but uh, but I, it's, it was very interesting. I'm like, hmm, I wanted to know more about that. I mean, you know, the, the punching. H- how many family fist fights have you had? How many fist fights have you been in? Just
1: one. And it really was, my attempt to punch him and his attempt to deflect the blows so oh, he I see. he wasn't punching me, so in that sense it wasn't it didn't your father. I was attempting to punch him because yeah. he was he was being a dick. Like, you know, he was I was let's see, I was eighteen. Yeah. That would have made him uh, forty two and he was being a forty two year old dick and I was being an eighteen year old angry bitch and it we were clashing. Yeah. And um You know, he he certainly wasn't attacking me, I was attacking him. Uh, And I I don't regret it, he deserved it.
0: What caused you to resort to violence during that particular moment? It oh, was, the so, culmination was of
1: soon after my friend who I write, well, my camp friend who I write about in the book yeah, is Kevin yeah. um, had, it was soon after he had died and I was really on the edge and my dad was just pushing my buttons by asking questions about why I hadn't met certain deadlines and, and why I wasn't adequately prepared to do certain things and it was, you know, a, a high stress time for him and his life I understand now and so it just sort of came to a head.
0: gotcha I I, speaking of friends I I, one thing that was very interesting to me was okay so you have this college friend Emerson not a big fan of peppers Alexandra Alexandra, yes yes, and she uh, helps you during a crucial time and yet she isn't really mentioned much later in the book you go to you know Chapel Hill and it's the same sort of thing a lot of these people tend to disappear and I'm wondering what the continuity is for friendship with you I mean whether moving from city to city uh, makes it difficult for you to sometimes sustain lasting relationships or have you been in touch with these people or is oh, it yeah I'm yeah. staying
1: with Alexandra um, in a week and a half when I oh, go to Los Angeles that. so Alexandra and Catherine are uh, my two friends so I, and I used their real names in the book because I wanted to honor them. Um,
0: Mr. DeAngelo was that real? Or was no was that, that was that a not reference? his real name. Okay because I figured that was a vacation reference
1: no, is that a is that like a vacation yeah. tour? No,
0: no, no, no. A vacation, the movie.
1: Oh, Griswold, no, I've and never Beverly D'Angelo. i haven't never, seen Vacation? Never oh seen yeah,
0: it. I thought that was a very clever. No, but
1: that would be oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, actually,
0: yes, of course. I
1: am writing a. I'm writing a right now a young adult novel that we're trying to sell that is a uh, an adaptation of The Great Gatsby yeah. that's set among teenagers in the Hamptons and I had I needed one of I needed the Tom Buchanan character to be a football hero. But these kids go to school in Manhattan and they're very wealthy. But I found that Dalton Academy is is the only private um, school in Manhattan with a varsity football team. So I named it Trumbo Academy, which <laughs> I thought was hilarious. Um, so in that sense, I have I've been indulging in wordplay lately. But no, no, that was I, I was just like, let me pick a generic Guido Italian, yeah. you know. Uh, Name and let me just throw it on this guy rather than using his real name.
0: Going back to the issue we avoided in terms of friendship and maintaining friendships, I mean, I, you mentioned, yes, you're staying at. at oh, yeah, yeah no, yeah, I still yeah. stay close
1: with Alexandra and Catherine, and I tend to, um, my best friend Gretchen from childhood, I tend to have a, a handful of people to whom I'm extremely, with whom I'm extremely close. And I chose not to include them in the rest of the book because. our lives diverged at at that point in a sense where we weren't living in the day-to-day with each other anymore. And um, so I had, you know, I had new adventures to have to write about. But of course, during during my new adventures, I was calling and talking to them and kind of reporting what was going on and and all that stuff. And I actually was just texting with Catherine just before I got down here.
0: Uh Well, how do you deal with issues of pseudonyms, of who to include, of real names, real instance, do you check with your friends and say, hey, I'm including this moment for the book, or anything like that?
1: I checked with Alex and Catherine about a couple things, just to see if it was okay with them, and they were fine with it. And I actually, I I didn't check with, but I alerted an ex-boyfriend that I had written about him, and I told him the kind of stuff that I had written about him so that he would know. And there were cases in which I took characters and, you know, made them into two people or combined two characters into one or changed the geographic location or, you know, did all sorts of things to disguise them because more than other people figuring out who they were, I didn't want they to figure out who they were. (laughs) So, um, and I just felt that that was, in addition to being legally responsible, I felt it was morally responsible too because I... I have a real problem with authors who write for revenge because I think it's deeply unfair. There's a difference between, I have a friend named Thomas McBee who's writing, he writes for the Boston Phoenix newspaper and we just did an interview. And he is writing a, um, he used to be a woman and is writing his story of growing up as a little girl and being repeatedly raped by his father. Now, that's not someone who's writing for revenge, that's someone who's writing about what happened. This is what happened in my life, how, to what extent did this, did this play into my identity change, um, if at all, how has this played into me meeting my wife and getting married, and what does this mean for me now, and who am I now if, I, if I'm not that little girl anymore? All that stuff. Um, that's not someone who's writing for revenge. That's someone who's just writing the truth. And just like the, you know, the woman, oh, I forget her name. Is it Katherine or Kathleen who wrote *The Glass Castle*? I forget. Yes. Um, I forget her name, but she's not writing for revenge. And my friend Cambry Cruz, who just wrote a book called *Burn Down the Ground* about being raised by a father who tried to murder her mother. You know, Cambry loves her dad. He's in maximum security prison. Yeah. She still goes to visit him, a f- you know, a couple times a year and sends him things. She loves her dad. She's not writing for revenge. She's writing what happened. So there's a difference between doing that and, you know, when you read something where someone has very clearly written just to humiliate their ex. That really bothers me. Like, sure, maybe your ex was a real, a real D-bag. Yeah. But you, it makes you look smaller if you use your, if you very clearly use your platform as a writer to try and destroy that person. It's different if you use them and turn them into a character and they're pretty well disguised, I think. And then maybe only your intimate friends will know and you can all have a good laugh about it. But holding someone up for public ridicule when they haven't committed a crime, when they've really just been a jerk, I think I don't think I'm like getting on a high horse here when I say that that bothers me, and it bothers me because I've, I've done that in the past in blogging when I was younger and was in my mid 20s and would just get really it was just like a sex and dating blogger, and so I've done that in the past, and it was um, it had such fallout and was such a terrible thing to do that I really came to regret my ways and I really came to understand like just how damaging that is and how yeah. it, it taught me that you never know all the sides to a story. So, if you're going to tell someone else's story, you better be damn sure you've done a lot of research. Yeah.
0: So, do you have any feelings of revenge, or the, I mean, you know, obviously you're suffering from extreme emotions sometimes. So, where does I suppose this negativity go? I mean, does it is it is it there in your performance? Is it there in your self-deprecation? Is it there in any? spiteful creative way for you at all or?
1: well i mean i talk a lot of shit with my friends yeah, like i'll yeah. say and i'll i have a diary and i'll write real bitchy stuff in that diary and um and i definitely will you know i can i'm like anybody else i can be a jerk i can be yeah. manipulative personally i can do all those things so that you know I, there's plenty of outlets for me to be a jerk yeah. um but I try not to do it. I was very concerned about doing it in the writing. And I was particularly concerned when I was writing about like ex my ex-boss yeah. and or, or ex-boyfriends. Like, and part of it is vanity, because I I look down on people who write with just total derision about their exes. And so I thought, well, I don't want people looking down on me. It was less about protecting them at times and yeah. more about like, oh well I want to seem, I want to seem like a good person. Well, this
0: must have been challenging in relation to the guy who said, hey, you can't take the Columbia exam, it's too much, or the, uh, uh, rather, the entrance papers, uh, as well as also Edgar, this figure who basically claims that you were going to blind him and yeah. turns out to be this incredible bipolar type who is oh very I yeah. think very
1: now I can see the yeah. like untreated bipolar and I would have gotten out of that work relationship much faster but yeah Edgar was totally nuts yeah, well. um, and it was difficult because I, I had to keep reminding myself Sarah this was a particular time and place there have been times in your life, including the times you're writing about in this book, where if people only knew you in those times, they would think you were totally nuts. Hmm. So, you know, maybe things have changed for Edgar. Just write write what you can remember and try as best you can to make it light and funny and not a character assassination. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, how do you how do you do that? Because, I mean, that's got to be a painful experience to say, Oh, my God, I can't believe that I put up with all this shit. I can't believe that I, I let this guy both of these guys treat me like dirt. I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, I mean, I, I was reading this going, you know, wanting to ask you also, like, you know, why do you think your younger self, who I think was smart enough to recognize that this was these were, this was clear abuse, you know, why were you so willing to take it at the time? And and how do you deal with this re- approaching the same incidents many years later trying to, you know, reconcile your present self with your past self?
1: I think it comes down to that, again, that deep, deep need for approval and love, um, which maybe for me, I mean, I always... I wonder I always got so much of it um, from my mom and then with my dad it was more conditional related to like uh, grades and things like that at least until I got older now he's very unconditional in his love and support but when I was growing up he wasn't so I think some of it probably has to do my relationships with men probably you know have to do with really wanting approval and love and so that would explain in part why I behaved the way that I did with with that relationship I wrote about and with with Edgar who even though you know he was clearly not a fatherly figure and clearly it was not a romantic relationship because he was gay but um to have that that may explain how some of that played out in the course of the narrative and that's maybe that's why I wrote it the way I did um but you know I I think um lot of women have that issue. I think a lot of us are, are acting out of deep, old instincts. Uh, whatever we needed to do to survive in the eyes yeah. of the male who was around us, um, that's, you know, that's kind of what we do into our adult life, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wanted to also ask you about the, the blender moment in oh, this yes. book. I mean, you come from a clear family culinary scenario where it's pretty much Boston market oh, yeah. dinners and taters, fats of mashed potatoes and the like. I mean, have you have you made any progress towards cooking oh, in, no. in recent years? No. You know
1: I've actually that's not true. I have. I can make like four things and make them really well. But, such as, such as what? Um, I can stir, I can saute spinach okay. and make it delicious. I can make really good eggs, scrambled eggs. I can't really hard-boil them or do over-easy. I don't know what that is, but I can scramble them. Yeah. Uh, I can, if, if I have all the stuff with me, I can make good bread, but I've been trying not to eat so much bread lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, gosh, what else can I do? You know what? I, I can make... A, actually, City Bakery, where we are right now, has a delicious kale salad, which is oh, yeah. incredible. And um, I found a rip-off recipe for it online... And I make a really kick-ass imitation City Bakery kale salad.
0: You know, the AllRecipes.com is your friend. There's oh, tons it's of. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: So I and I find that I'm I'm out a lot. I'm out of the house a lot. So I'm not. I was actually just um, talking to an author online, uh, Alice Bradley. She she tweets as Fin Slippy. And she was encouraging me because I, I wrote, just wrote something for Exo Jane about how I'm scared about my book coming out. And it's a post that went up today. And one of the things I'm scared about is gaining weight on the road some I'm on Weight Watchers. I'm trying to, like, keep it in check. And she told me that she brought a lot of, like, fruits and nuts and vegetables with her uh, before her book tour. So I'm like, okay, I need to go shopping. I need to go to Trader Joe's or, or, or Whole Foods or whatever before my book tour and, like, stock up on stuff.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, you know... Is it, is it a weight issue that prevents you from... Or a time management issue that prevents you from, like, trying to cook more or trying... Um, to
1: I would just rather... I'm so obsessively career-focused that yeah. if I have spare time, what I'm going to do with that spare time is maybe... And I'm hungry. I'll probably order food out and yeah. then spend the rest of the time doing some kind of self-promotional something or other. Or, you know, working on a second book. Or, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the first one isn't even out yet and... You know, we didn't even have finished copies, and I was already working on a second book in a new yeah. genre, and being like, to my, bugging my agent, like, do you think we can sell this? Do you think we can sell this? What do you think? Um, setting up comedy shows or pitching new freelance stories. I'm very, very career driven, yeah. to the to the extent of neglecting other important things in my life. Sometimes. Well, well, then what
0: do you do to unwind? I mean, part of the wonderful, I, I enjoy cooking, and and one of the great things about that, you know, one maybe two hours is it frees up your mind, right. and then your mind is able to you know be in this sort of of rest state and then all of a sudden, aha, I've got the solution to
1: that. You know? And then you have food too. Yes. At the and you end have food it, too. Which is so, an so it's awesome like reward. it's like it's
0: you get so many trade offs. So I'm wondering, do you have, what do you do to have that sort of, you know, downtime to kind of shut your mind off temporarily so that you do perhaps arrive at solutions to some of the problems that you're you're obsessing over.
1: I sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <sometimes> <laughs> sleep doesn't count that's too much <laughs> I, you know I really don't have anything that I use to to blow off steam. I um I I don't, and that's a problem. That's something, I mean, I go to two, I have a, a psychologist and a psychiatrist, and that's something I talk to them about. When I do allow myself to chill out, it usually involves listening to my favorite um, my favorite podcast. No offense, but my favorite podcast is um, Stuff You Missed in History Class, mm-hmm. which I love. And I love listening to Tara Brock, who's a writer. She wrote a book called Radical Acceptance. And she's a writer, and she's a, a practicing psychologist. And she is um, also a Buddhist who lived in an ashram for many yeah. years. And I have I have very real hippie tendencies. Yes. And so um, listening to her talk about, like, how to deal with common life problems from a Buddhist perspective is really interesting so I would let's say listening to podcasts and lately I've sometimes been listening to music which is totally different for me because it, yeah. it turns off a certain part of my brain. Yeah. Um,
0: the Dave Matthews oh, over and over the again. the Dave yeah, Matthews yeah. band.
1: Yeah, I'm not as into repetition, <laughs> uh, thankfully, as I was in the acute Very acute patient phase. mother, yeah. Very patient mom letting me listen to the Dave Matthews band. Same song over and over and over again on our way back from Boston to to Flemington when I was really having an acute... Mental health crisis, and was in the midst of, um, you know, feeling suicidal and being very agoraphobic. And yeah, so I, I do, I will always have a fond spot for the Dave Matthews Band. So, so
0: it seems to me that the way to put your mind at rest really is through sounds, whether it's the sound yeah. of a voice, the sound of music, the sound of a thought. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the sound of the music sound, I, I'm expecting you to go ahead and. Do if I, I could sing, yeah. I would bust it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I would bust it out.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. That's a really interesting observation, actually. I had never thought of that, but yeah, sound is very soothing. That's why it was a big deal for me recently when I gave away my my stuffed giraffe that I've had since I was a baby. Oh, I mean, wow, you gave that away. I did. Her name is Mary, and she's musical, and I gave her away to my friend Diana, my comedy partner Diana Saez, yeah. um to her son. She has twin toddlers, and she is uh, a single mom out in Minneapolis. Yeah. And I I went to visit her, and we shot some new videos together. I have, we have a new web series called Mom Fidential, where we're just two awful, awful privileged, like Park Slope mommy vloggers, yeah. and we're really terrible talking about like our nannies, and it's just it's racist and offensive and heinous, and it's wonderful. And um, while we were doing that, I you know was hanging out with her kids a lot. They're two and a half, and I just instinctively gave my toy to her son and this is a comfort object that I brought with me on all these trips so it won't be with me on my book tour and that's really interesting that's but it just felt like the right time it felt like all right you know I'm putting all this shit out there into the world um, and I'm getting so much off my chest and also I'm I'm hanging out with actual little kids like I'm not a little kid anymore even though I feel like one sometimes because of this these disorders that I have but I'm really not. And so it was kind of a way of claiming adulthood finally at 31. Um, so that was yeah. pretty cool. How do you deal with that? I mean,
0: Because all writers need to be in touch to some degree with their inner child. I mean, you have to have that sense of wonder if you expect to have people read your work or watch your work. So if much of that is tied into you know, issues we've been talking about, I mean, how do you stay in touch with your inner child without I suppose giving in to the inner demon voice or whatnot or the, the giraffe yeah
1: it's you have to I think you have to discipline her or him there has to be very specific boundaries yeah. you have to give him just like you would with a real kid that that kind of monkey mind is what we're talking about yeah. and you have to give him or her timeouts and you have to <laughs> be very disciplined you have to talk back and say no that's not no we are going to leave this stall even though we are terrified, because this terror is irrational. Things will be better once we leave the bathroom stall. Or, well, yes, we are going to eat today. I know you don't feel like eating, but it's a thing we're going to do. And so I do some of that self-talk, which is something that you learn in cognitive behavioral therapy. You learn about sort of rewriting your mental programs and talking back to whatever program is cycling through your head. And, And so, yeah, I mean... I, I I promise that the book. Well, you've you've read part of the book. Or yeah, the whole thing. Of, oh, great! I read the whole I thing. Promise for everybody. The, yeah. book, the book isn't as for your listeners. It's not as therapy heavy as, as I am because yeah. I'm very therapy heavy today at least with the stuff I'm talking about. But I don't think the book is as therapy heavy. I think it's more like just a ridiculous romp.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's got some therapy stuff in it, but I, 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 it's not as as woo woo oshi goshi as I'm being. Yes. Well, what about?
0: We should really get into it because we have, believe me. I'm, I don't want to say that I'm squeamish but we just have not talked about the peas in oh, the jar.
1: yeah that was yeah, the, so the, the which the, you say is the
0: constituency of chicken noodle soup
1: it's the consistency of chicken noodle soup when the and we're well, in, an, we're there, in yeah. an eating establishment so I'm trying yes. to be quiet when it's been sitting there for a while and the solids sink to the bottom and then at the top you get this like pond scum, yes. that's what happens, just FYI, if you ever urinate in a jar or an open-air receptacle and just kind of leave it there for a few days. Yeah. It's really quite exciting. Um, and it's odiferous. There's a very, you know, it's, it's an ammonia-type situation. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. But, yes, there was, of course, what you're referring to is um, there's a whole chapter in a book devoted to it called Bowls of Pea. I think it's chapter three, where I talk about how, for a time, I became so frightened of... Of doing, of, of going beyond, really my bed, that I would just, and also so depressed, I think is something that I didn't, that that I didn't really explore effectively in the book, um, that I would change if I could. There's also such an enormous depression there, like yeah. a, a, just an unwillingness to participate in the rituals of daily life, and not wanting to go in public, not wanting to be seen. And so I, in addition to not bathing, started, you know, urinating in bowls. Yes. Um, and so that is something that... It's funny, a few other people have told me that they've done that now. It's like the secret <laughs> society of bowl pissers.
0: And I thought peeing in the shower was pretty right, daring. Right, we all yeah, did, but no. Um,
1: so that's, that's an interesting part of the book. That is the... I think it's the hookiest part of the book because it's the most sensational yeah. and the most gross. And I deliberately included it because i knew that you know every story needs uh if otherwise i don't want to just tell like one privileged white woman's journey which is what so many of these fucking memoirs are i needed to and i am a privileged white woman so who's you know educated and has a very loving supportive family and has enough money and on all these different things and has health insurance for now and i've been very fortunate in my life in many ways so i thought in in addressing the problem of well, what right do I have to tell my story? Why is it interesting in any way? I thought, well, let's really, let's really dive into the really gross shit. Let's, yeah. get really, let's get really deep into it and expose the nastiness that's there. Because on the surface, you know, oh, Sarah is a girl who grew up in an upper middle class household and went to college and got sad is not a compelling story. But underneath it, and I think this is true for many, many people who, who will think to themselves, oh, I'm not that interesting. My story's not that interesting. Well, actually, it probably is because there are things that you do that you think of as normal or that you've done that you've just put to rest that actually are quite abnormal. Oh, and yeah. that's where the rich stuff is in the darkness and the grossness.
0: But this notion of giving yourself permission by mining the stuff that is likely to make readers squeamish, mm-hmm. this is interesting to me because typically... I, at least for me, and for a lot of people I know, if they're just sitting there and riffing on something that seems normal to them, as as, as you say, I mean, it could just be completely bizarre to another person. I, I, so I, I'm wondering why that outpouring is is coming in relation to to audience approval, to to how they're going to go, ooh, pee, pee in the jar. Because for me, I, I it wasn't so much. I didn't find that so much squeamish. So I found it more sad more than yeah. anything else. Well, that's so, a, that's another yeah. thing, too.
1: I think to justify the story, I think there needs you need to go, wow, this person really suffered. And that, for me, is the most concrete evidence I could provide of my suffering because I was never confined to a mental institution. Yeah. You know, it's not like A Girl Interrupted, which is a terrifying and sad memoir. Um, I was never in a mental institution. It's... Uh, you know I've never done a ton of recreational drugs and and, and had to go to rehab or anything like that um, I've not committed huge crimes because of my my disorder and so I had to say okay well what have I done that's really fucked up because that is what is going to I think justify my having written this story and also it's it's honest like if I'm gonna tell this story I need to be honest about the things that I did I'm, I'm reticent to be honest about the things that other people did because that's their story not mine but i need to be really honest about what i did and yes. so that that was you know that was actually how this story started i started out by or actually not the book but um i started telling that story one time on stage years ago and i was in 2009 i think and from there i was like well you know what i'm gonna turn this into this is not a stand-up comedy topic this is a, like a one-woman theater show topic and I want to write a book, too, so I used the theater show to write the, um, to actually write the book.
0: Yeah. I, I wanted to also jump back to New Jersey. I feel that we really need to get Flemington, New Jersey discussed here. Yeah, let's get into you it. Bring, you, you bring up Bruno Hoffman, mm-hmm. and you point out that the court reenactments don't actually point to the fact that, well, maybe the guy really wasn't guilty. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm curious why New Jersey has a problem with being candid about their guilt, whereas, say, Salem, Massachusetts has no problem pointing to the bogus nature of the witch trials. Well, Salem, Massachusetts
1: makes makes money off of its... makes a great deal of money off of its um, off of its admitting guilt. Um, And also, most people know that witches and magic um, and God aren't real. And so I think that's why... Oh yes, there is that. There's also that. Um, and so they were basically accusing these women of ridiculous things, but, um, I, in this sense, they were accusing, uh, and it's funny, I say God isn't real as someone who really wants God to be real and is a spiritual person, yeah. so it's kind of a funny thing to say, but I'm, like, pretty sure he's just not real and neither is magic, even though I want both of them to be real. Yeah. Um, so, but most people know that the supernatural shit isn't real, that these what you said. I mean, I believe that you can have psychic powers and not to move things with your mind, but that you can pick up on other peoples sort of internal broadcast. I just think and and I think actually that there can even be possibly ghosts or energy left over. Like I I do believe that there are things that happen that are not concrete that science has not discovered yet and cannot define. But Saying that these women were causing, you know, they were causing like cows not to give milk and things like that. Most people, even those of us who who believe that some ooky spooky stuff can happen, realize that that's bullshit. Yeah. But Bruno Hauptmann, you know, could very well have murdered the Lindbergh baby. I don't think that he did, um, but he could have. Um, I, I think it's very. I, I think admitting that that his conviction was largely, probably, a result of anti-German sentiment. Yeah. At that time, oddly enough, because Lindbergh loved him some Germans. Yes. (laughs) um, But nationally, the sentiment was anti German. And I think that Flemington would never, you know, would never admit that. So yeah. it's not a mystery, it's it's very much like a, yep, this guy did it, let's reenact the trial with yeah. local drama people. Well, I mean, it's what, kind is, of hilarious. What,
0: what, what is the nature of New Jersey coming to terms with its historical legacy, would you say? Living, living there, growing up, I mean, or, or have they pretty much deferred it to shopping malls and. Outland I think it's shopping the malls, light. I
1: think we've we've fetishized our legacy, especially in the Italian American community. We've really fetishized our legacy of crime and murder and these horrible things that have happened. I think that we've we've been rewarded for it in a sense with popular cult by popular culture. Yeah. And so we've really fetishized that. And even the, the kind of low culture shit that you see on Jersey Lucious and Jersey Couture, like, which is holding these very low culture, trashy people up for ridicule yeah um even by giving them a show it glamorizes them at the same time it's the same thing as toddlers and tiaras we watch in horror but and and jersey shore as well but we also it's the horror swiftly turns to emulation when you realize that these people are getting attention and money for this stuff so jersey is a very interesting place to be right now it's a very strange place to be right now i i enjoy it i mean what i do love about we we have a um a wonderful magazine called Weird New Jersey which details all our strange stories yes. of hauntings and I've, I've murders that, yes. and things. It's wonderful. It's, there's a comedian There's angel. loads
0: of crime going on in Jersey too. Oh, yeah. you know, buried bodies.
1: Absolutely everywhere. And mobs, treasure. Yeah. And, uh, uh,
0: More than just Sopranos crap. You know? Oh absolutely. Yeah. Older stuff. Pirates yeah. yes. and
1: things. And Chris Gethard who is a, a comedian who has a book out now. Um, he used to work at Weird New Jersey uh, I believe as an editor and uh, I just envy that job so much.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, one last question. Sure. Um, Take two if you need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this this will probably be an elaborate one, so we'll keep it like that. So, WFAN, you mm-hmm. mentioned in the book as the wonderful radio station enjoyed by numerous New Jersey Oh, the dads. FAN,
1: WFAN. Yes,
0: yeah. exactly. Uh, and you also had a career at Sirius for a little while. Mm-hmm, for two years. Um, and I, I'm wondering, do you think that there's you know any shot restoring, I suppose, the old... Local morning crew radio glory, or is, are those days totally done? Is it all?
1: Oh, you mean c- if I could do that? Well, uh, yeah.
0: Stuff? I mean, I'm, I'm curious. You know, from based off of your experience, based off of your dealings, do you think that those days are dead? Do you think that radio has a future? Or are we just basically going to be putting out podcasts into the world? Oh and no,
1: I think I think that audio storytelling and report, reportage is not dead, but I think yeah. radio is dying in the yeah. same way that magazine journalism um, or magazine publishing, not magazine journalism, magazine publishing, is dying. I absolutely think so. I think that SiriusXM is only going to last so long because its technology is already a dinosaur yeah. and it's unwieldy. Yeah. Um, I think, particularly when you have services like Pandora and Stitcher and you know these uh, Spotify and things like that, um, and the abundance of podcasts that are available for free or for real cheap on iTunes. Yeah, I think radio is dying, but I, I I think that there's a place for the stars of radio, these, these voices that we love, to do really well if they're willing to be flexible and move over to the internet. Yeah. Uh, and we want the personalities, we want the intimacy of this medium. It's the most intimate medium, um, possibly aside from, even more intimate than reading, I think. And I love it. And uh, you know, personally, I would I would love to work full time in radio again. That would be really wonderful. And talk well, radio.
0: You've got this podcast going. On. I mean, mm-hmm. to what degree? Sex is, and other human yes, activities. Yes, exactly. So, so to what degree does radio or podcasting or anything along these lines, audio-wise, help you as a comedian or as a writer?
1: Uh, well, there's a little bit of income, a tiny trickle yeah. of it, to do with having a having a platform yeah. And, yeah. and also having uh, a sponsor, which is really nice. Yeah. But um, it's fun. Mostly, it's really fun, and I think it also. It also for me, I used it to publicize my tour dates, and to publicize my book, Agora Fabulous, and things like that. So, um, so it serves, and it's also just fun. I mean, I'm a. I'm kind of a too much information overshare uh, as many people in my generation are and um, so it's a perfect venue for me to do that it's also really fun because we get to give advice which is what I did on my radio show on Sirius XM I hosted and produced for two years it was all getting bad and it was about um, sex and love advice and so now Marcus my co-host and co-producer and I get to just do that and we can swear and do whatever we want to Absolutely. which is very fun
0: Sarah I know you have a senatorial timetable and I know you must eat lunch but thank you very much it was a pleasure to chat with you thank and you. hopefully we'll
1: you. thank you so much Ed. Thank, thank you, you.
0: You want to go, you always want to go You want to go somewhere where you don't know You always run, and when I try to run